On the morning of January 16, 1987, a delivery man rang the bell at a townhome in Atlanta's upscale Buckhead district. A woman answered, and the delivery man asked if her name was Lita. When she said yes, the man pulled out a 9mm gun he had hidden within a dozen roses. He fired several times, striking Lita once in the head. Lita's best friend Poppy was at the townhome that day. When she heard the shot, she grabbed her three-year-old daughter and ran to hide in a closet where she remained until police arrived and secured the scene. They would break the news to Poppy that her best friend was dead. Immediately, Poppy told police she knew who killed Lita. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard, and this is the mystery of the murder of Lita McClinton. Atlanta's Oakland Cemetery is the oldest public park in the city and the final resting place for more than 70,000 people. Many notable locals are buried there, including Gone with the Wind author Margaret Mitchell, Atlanta's first black mayor, Maynard Jackson, and Carrie Still Logan, an ex-slave who established the first African-American orphanage in Atlanta. Among the oaks and magnolias at Oakland, there's a sculpture honoring Lita McClinton. The inscription reads, In loving memory of dearest Lita, the giver, whose inner beauty was blinding. Lita LaVon McClinton was born in Atlanta in 1952. She was the oldest of three children of Joanne and Emery McClinton. Joanne McClinton was a politician serving in the Georgia House of Representatives from 1993 to 2006. Emery Clinton was a high-ranking official with the U.S. Department of Transportation. The McClintons were one of the most prominent black families in Atlanta, and you'd find them at most social events in the city. Their daughter, Lita, was petite and known for her beautiful smile, her bright eyes, and trusting soul. Elegant in every way, she loved fashion and dressing up for parties and cotillions. Lita attended Spelman College, where she majored in political science. Following graduation in 1975, Lita's love of fashion led her to work at an upscale boutique in Atlanta. Here, the 23-year-old met a customer who was 11 years older, a charismatic man named Jim Sullivan. Lita was immediately smitten, but her friends and her parents were immediately concerned about the match. Jim Sullivan came from a working-class family in Macon, Georgia. He did have money when he met Lita, but that money was part of an inheritance from his uncle's beverage company in Macon. But we all know money can't buy you class, and Lita's parents described Jim as arrogant and a little off-putting from the moment they met him. They questioned whether he was too old for their daughter, and there was also the fear the couple would not be accepted socially because Lita was black and Jim Sullivan white. It was 1975, and in Georgia, interracial marriage had only been legal for three years. But Lita loved Jim, 
When he proposed, she said yes. The couple set their wedding date for December 29th, 1976. The night before the wedding, a confession from Jim shocked Lita. He asked to talk to her because he wanted to let her know he had been married before. He had finalized his divorce, but had concerns about entering marriage without a prenuptial agreement. That's when he pulled out a prenup and asked Lita to sign it. Lita McClinton was surprised, but she loved Jim and explained she didn't need or want his money. She came from money, and it wasn't something she had to worry about. She signed the prenup that night, and the couple married the next day. Lita and Jim spent the first eight years of their marriage in Macon before Jim sold the family business for $5 million. He decided they would move to an exclusive community in Palm Beach, Florida. Now, in 1983, people still turned their heads when Lita and Jim walked into a room together as a couple in Georgia. Their marriage was even more shocking for the predominantly white, wealthy set in Palm Beach in the early 1980s. Their oceanfront mansion couldn't make people tolerance and accepting of them as a couple. Lita struggled away from family and her roots back in Georgia, and Jim's actions didn't help the situation. He was desperate to gain acceptance among the social scene, but struggled to be accepted because of his marriage and his arrogance and off-putting manner. Jim started blaming Lita for their lack of acceptance, and a heartbroken Lita shared with her best friend Poppy that she knew Jim was cheating on her. She had found another woman's lingerie in the bed she shared with her husband. To make matters worse for Lita, Jim controlled every cent of their wealth and would cut off Lita's access to their finances. Lita tried to make the marriage work. She went to counseling, but he refused to go with her. She didn't want to give up on Jim, but it felt like he was giving up on her. When she learned he was picking up sex workers, the then 33-year-old Lita knew she had to end her misery. She decided it was time to leave Jim and file for divorce. She was still young and told friends and family that once the divorce was final, she hoped to meet a man who would love her the way she loved him, maybe even have children. It wasn't too late. Lita waited for Jim to leave on a business trip, packed up her Mercedes-Benz, and left Palm Springs. She moved back to Atlanta, threw herself into the charity work she loved, and enjoyed being free from Jim's constant emotional and financial control over her. She settled into a townhome the couple owned in Buckhead and in 1985 filed for divorce. Lita requested half of Jim Sullivan's $5 million estate, including the townhouse, her Mercedes-Benz, and many of the fine furnishings they had acquired during the marriage. Lita and Jim's divorce would be a bitter one. Lita had suffered emotional and financial abuse in the marriage, and Jim had not hidden that he was a womanizer. But Jim countered, accusing Lita of adultery and drug abuse, charges that could never be substantiated. 
As the divorce dragged on, Jim Sullivan found himself in considerable financial trouble. The court ordered him to pay Lita a temporary alimony settlement and cover the mortgages for the couple's homes in Palm Beach and Atlanta. Sullivan was running out of money and facing financial ruin if Lita got what she asked for in the divorce. On January 15, 1987, Lita's best friend Poppy spent the night at the townhome. Poppy's three-year-old daughter was with her. The friends talked late into the night about Lita's plans once the divorce was done. A judge would be finalizing the divorce the next day, and Lita was looking forward to her next chapter, her fresh start. Early the next morning, as rain fell in Atlanta, Lita heard the doorbell. She looked out the window to see a delivery man holding a box of flowers. When she opened the door, the man asked if she was Lita McClinton. She said yes, and the man pulled out a 9mm gun that was hidden within the roses. He fired several times, striking Lita once in the head. Poppy heard the gunfire and immediately grabbed her daughter and ran into a closet where they hid until police arrived and assured them they were safe. Lita had been transported to the hospital where she died. When investigators broke the news to Lita's parents and her best friend that she was gone, they immediately told detectives Jim Sullivan killed Lita. Authorities agreed he was a prime suspect due to the contentious divorce and financial stress. They spoke with several witnesses who described three men near and around the townhome that morning, and one of them had run away from the front door. But none of their descriptions matched the description of Jim Sullivan. Plus, Jim Sullivan had a solid alibi. He could prove he was in Palm Beach at the time Lita was murdered. Joanne McClinton, Lita's mother, would note the odd behavior of Jim Sullivan in the days following her daughter's murder. He never called anyone in the family to express condolences, sent no flowers or any acknowledgement of Lita's death. His cold behavior convinced the McClintons Jim Sullivan was somehow involved in the murder of Lita. Atlanta police agreed, but they needed more to go on. They needed solid evidence. Over the course of their initial investigation, they learned three days before Lita was murdered, someone in room 518 of a Howard Johnson hotel in Atlanta made a collect call to Jim Sullivan's Palm Beach home. The room was registered to a Johnny Fur. When the FBI was brought in to help with a case that crossed state lines, they were unable to identify Fur and assumed the name was an alias. Authorities also found on the morning of Lita's murder, someone called Jim Sullivan from a payphone at a rest stop just outside of Atlanta. When police confronted Sullivan about that call, asked if it was a signal of some kind that his wife was dead, he denied any involvement in her murder. 
the FBI was able to obtain a wiretap to record Sullivan's conversations. In February 1987, they overheard Sullivan talking to a friend about Lita's murder investigation, and he mentioned she had been shot with a 9mm gun. That was a critical piece of information that detectives had intentionally never made public. They hoped this would be the break they needed in the case. They believed Sullivan had hired someone to kill Lita, but they found no leads on the gun or a hitman. There just wasn't enough evidence to make a case against Jim Sullivan. Lita McClinton's heartbroken parents were devastated when the case stalled. Their grief made the family feel like time stood still. But life moved on for Jim Sullivan. He married Suki Rogers eight months after Lita's murder. Suki had been the person to confirm Jim Sullivan's alibi when police questioned him about the murder. The day Lita died, Jim was in Palm Beach with Suki. After he was informed of Lita's murder, he went out with her and enjoyed a champagne and caviar dinner. Suki was 13 years younger than Jim and the ex-wife of a Palm Beach investor. She was the kind of woman Jim Sullivan loved. Younger and someone who had money, society connections, and would do anything for him. In 1990, Jim Sullivan asked Suki to perjure herself to try to protect him after he was pulled over for a traffic violation. He told her he'd had several violations and he didn't want to draw more attention since he was under investigation for Lita's murder. He knew the press would pick up the story and it would turn into a bigger deal than it really was. He asked Suki to help him out, go to the court hearing and claim she was driving, not Jim. Accuse the police officer of making a mistake. But the judge said the story was ridiculous. When police tracked down Jim Sullivan to arrest him for perjury, they found unregistered weapons in his home. He cut a deal and served time under house arrest. Soon after, things got more complicated for Jim Sullivan. Suki filed for divorce and departed the Sullivan home with a bombshell. She went to police and told them Jim Sullivan had confessed to her he hired a hitman to kill Lita McClinton. She remained silent because Jim had threatened to hire the same hitman to kill her. Jim Sullivan denied Suki's claim, and authorities knew an accusation of this kind, even if true, most likely wouldn't stand up in court because it was made during another bitter divorce battle. Local authorities just didn't think they could make the case, but the FBI tried. A year later, they presented wiretap and phone call evidence to a federal grand jury. They revealed three men had checked into room 518 at Howard Johnson Atlanta and all used fake IDs. Over the course of their stay, calls had been made to the Palm Beach home of Jim Sullivan. Evidence also revealed a flower vendor remembered an odd and very nervous man buying flowers. 
The florist said when men come in to buy flowers, he usually helped them figure out the color and the kind of flower they wanted. But this man didn't care. He just insisted on a dozen roses and wanted them quickly. Those roses were found in Lita's foyer when police arrived to secure her murder scene. The grand jury also heard from Suki, who explained Jim Sullivan confessed to hiring a hitman to kill Lita, but never named the gunman. The federal grand jury returned an indictment against Jim Sullivan for conspiracy to commit murder, but lack of hard evidence led to a judge dismissing the case. Devastated once again, the McClintons decided to take matters into their own hands. In 1994, they filed a wrongful death suit against Jim Sullivan. He chose to act as his own attorney, either because he couldn't afford his own or wanted to make the McClintons suffer as he questioned them about their daughter's murder. When Sullivan questioned Emory McClinton, he suggested Lita's own father could have been involved in his daughter's murder. Sullivan brought up Lita McClinton's $250,000 life insurance policy and noted the McClintons were the beneficiaries. When the McClintons' lawyer questioned Emory about the life insurance, Emory explained that Lita took out the policy and named her parents beneficiaries because she was traveling and was separated from Jim Sullivan at the time. Jim Sullivan took the stand but invoked the Fifth Amendment and refused to testify. The jury found Sullivan liable and awarded the McClintons $4 million. They knew Jim Sullivan wasn't going to pay. Sullivan had been financially strapped for years. The lawsuit was never about the money for the McClintons. It was always about justice for Lita. The McClintons did all they could to keep Lita's story in the news and keep pushing for justice for her. A decade after Lita McClinton's murder, Atlanta police got a tip that once confirmed would break the case wide open. Belinda Trahan from Beaumont, Texas, called police and identified the mysterious Johnny Fur from room 518 in the Howard Johnson, Atlanta. She said an ex-boyfriend, Anthony Harwood, was the man they were looking for. She explained she had been living in fear of Harwood for years. The 47-year-old truck driver from North Carolina had dated Belinda for years, but after they broke up, he continued to harass her, visited her when he would pass through Texas. She explained that Harwood was violent and had made several threats on her life because she knew his secrets. She knew Harwood was hired to kill Lita McClinton. Belinda Trahan told authorities she was with Anthony Harwood when he met with Jim Sullivan in Atlanta two weeks before Lita's murder. During this meeting in an Atlanta restaurant, Jim Sullivan passed an envelope full of cash to Anthony Harwood. Inside that envelope was $12,500, half of the $25,000 Sullivan promised to pay Harwood to murder his wife, Lita. 
police learned Anthony Harwood had worked for Jim Sullivan, met him back in November 1986, when Harwood had hauled some furniture from Sullivan's home in Georgia down to Palm Beach. Atlanta detectives brought Harwood in for questioning in January 1998. He immediately started talking. He admitted he had taken money from Sullivan and knew it was payment for a hit on Sullivan's wife. He confirmed he had been one of the people to check into that room at Howard Johnson under the name Johnny Furr and called Sullivan from the room before Lita's murder. He also confirmed he had called Sullivan from a payphone at a rest stop hours after Lita had been murdered. The one thing Anthony Harwood denied was being the gunman. Harwood said he was the getaway driver for the gunman who went by the alias John the Barber. Authorities didn't believe John the Barber existed, but they needed Harwood's cooperation to make a case against Jim Sullivan. The DA cut a deal with Harwood, allowing him to plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter with a condition he testify against Jim Sullivan. Just as authorities were closing in on Sullivan, he heard Harwood had been arrested, knew the Fulton County Grand Jury had returned an indictment against him in the spring of 1998. Jim Sullivan fled to Costa Rica. He remained on the run for nearly five years, hiding out in Panama, Venezuela, and Malaysia before he moved to Thailand, where he established a new life under his real name. He bought a condo on the beach where he lived with a Thai woman. He got a driver's license under his real name, even opened a bank account, which seemed like a risk for a man who was still one of the FBI's most wanted fugitives. Jim Sullivan's arrogance made him feel he was smarter than the FBI and he'd never be caught. But time ran out for Sullivan when America's Most Wanted featured the case and a tip led Thai police to that condo on the beach. Jim Sullivan was arrested on July 2nd, 2002. After a fight over extradition, 64-year-old Jim Sullivan was transported back to the States in March 2004 and placed in a Fulton County jail cell. Jim Sullivan's 2006 murder trial was high profile. Court TV carried the trial live and there was nationwide coverage of the murder for hire case. The most compelling testimony came from Anthony Harwood. He explained how he had met Sullivan and the offer of $25,000 to kill Lita, an offer he admitted he accepted. Harwood revealed the first attempt to execute Lita McClinton was on January 13, 1987. He said he and two friends drove into Atlanta from North Carolina. Harwood parked near Lita's Buckhead townhome and knocked on the door around 5.30 a.m. There was no answer, so Harwood and his friends left. Later that morning, Jim Sullivan made contact with his former lawyer and neighbor, Bob Christensen. Christensen testified that when Jim called, he asked if anyone had noticed something strange around Lita's townhome that morning. Bob said no, 
And the call had stood out to him because he hadn't spoken to Jim Sullivan in years. It just seemed so strange that he would call out of the blue. The prosecution theorized Jim Sullivan was calling to check in to see if Harwood had finished the job that day. When the first attempt on Lita's life had failed, Harwood said he checked into the Howard Johnson Motel and called Sullivan later that morning to tell him there had been no answer at Lita's door. Records showed a call was made from Jim Sullivan's Palm Beach home back to room 518 at 10.33 that morning, and Harwood said he had answered. There was a discussion about how to get Lita to come to the door the next time he tried to kill her. Harwood left, drove back to North Carolina, but returned to Atlanta on January 15th with those two friends, one of which he named as John the Barber. And the men checked into Howard Johnson again, and the following morning, Harwood sent John into the flower shop to buy roses. From there, the men drove to Lita's townhome, and Harwood claimed John the Barber carried the flowers to the door of Lita's home and shot her when she answered. Harwood explained that after Lita had been shot, he and his friends drove away from Atlanta and headed back to North Carolina. They made one stop at a rest area just outside of Atlanta. Anthony Harwood used a payphone to call Jim Sullivan. When Sullivan answered, Harwood said, Merry Christmas, Mr. Sullivan. Your problem has been taken care of. He hung up the phone and drove on home to North Carolina. Now, on the stand, Harwood clarified that statement, saying the plan had originally been to kill Lita around Christmas. That didn't work out, and the next window was forced on Harwood when the couple's court date for the divorce settlement was set. Jim said Lita had to die before she made it to court on January 16th. The mention of Merry Christmas was the planned code to confirm the job was done. Anthony Harwood's testimony was devastating. You could see it in the jury's response to his matter-of-fact explanation of the plot to kill Lita and how she was murdered. The prosecutor asked the question most folks were wondering. Did Harwood feel guilt or remorse for the part he played in the murder of Lita McClinton? Harwood replied, I guess I do, by what you call proxy. I believe we're all accountable for our acts, but I guess if you get down to the brass tacks of it, it all began with Mr. Sullivan. Anthony Harwood's ex-partner, Belinda Trahan, also testified. She claimed that when Harwood arrived home from Atlanta on the evening of January 16th, 1987, he told her the job was done. She felt sick because she realized she had given Harwood the idea he needed to get Lita McClinton to answer the door. Belinda knew about the murder for hire plot, was with Harwood when he accepted the first cash payment for the job. Harwood had come home after the first attempt on Lita's life and explained to Belinda that it didn't work because Lita didn't answer the door. Belinda mentioned that anyone knows If you want a woman to answer the door, all you have to do 
is take her flowers. Trahan maintained she felt bad about Lita's death, but she felt controlled by Anthony Harwood and never spoke up about the plot to kill Lita because of the threats that had been made against her life. The prosecution had strong testimony and circumstantial evidence against Jim Sullivan from Harwood and Trahan. At trial, the prosecutor revealed evidence that Jim Sullivan had two motives to hire someone to murder his wife. First, there was that bitter divorce and Sullivan's opinion that Lita was going to ruin him socially and financially. Second, was Sullivan's attempt to refinance a balloon mortgage that was due on their Palm Beach home. Sullivan had attempted to go around Lita to do this, but was told by the bank he had to have Lita's signature to refinance. The date of the commitment papers was key to the prosecution's case. The bank drafted a commitment letter for Jim Sullivan on January 14, 1987. Lita McClinton was murdered on January 16th. Days after, Jim Sullivan called the bank to let them know his wife had died and they could move forward without refinancing. Jim Sullivan didn't take the stand to defend himself. His defense team would call two witnesses, say the state had not made their case because all they had was a pile of circumstantial evidence and the defense wrapped up their case in less than an hour. But the jury didn't agree with the defense. They deliberated for less than a day and returned to the courtroom with a verdict. Guilty of malice murder and felony murder. Jim Sullivan was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole. For Anthony Harwood's role in the murder for hire, and in return for his testimony against Jim Sullivan, Harwood got a 20-year sentence. He was released from prison in 2018. The friends Harwood drew in to help with his plan have never been identified. Emery and Joanne McClinton waited 19 years for justice for Lita. Their pain over her loss will never go away. But knowing Jim Sullivan will spend life in a maximum security prison, it helps just a little bit. The McClintons have kept up their fight for Lita. Years after they won their civil suit against Sullivan, he attempted to file bankruptcy to avoid the jury verdict. The McClintons sued and won their case to prevent that from happening. They've kept up their fight to take from Jim Sullivan what he values most is money. The McClintons petitioned the court to lift the 20-year limit on the wrongful death judgment of $4 million. They believed Jim Sullivan had hidden millions of dollars in bank accounts around the world. He was a savvy investor and an accountant in the past, and they knew he knew his way around overseas banks. Back when he fled the United States to avoid arrest when he was indicted for Lita's murder, he did so with an Irish passport he obtained because his grandparents were Irish citizens. It's believed Jim Sullivan managed to hide some of his wealth in Irish banks, but that could never be proven. 
The McClinton's attorneys learned a former defense attorney of Sullivan's had been paid via a Swiss bank account that had never been disclosed in financial records related to the Sullivan's divorce. From there, they've trailed possible accounts to Liechtenstein, South America, and Thailand, which is why a judge lifted that 20-year limit on the wrongful death suit to give the McClinton attorneys time to track down the money Jim Sullivan values above life itself. The McClintons obtained a guarantee from the courts that even if 80-year-old Jim Sullivan dies before they find those mystery accounts, the money would be a part of his estate and they would be entitled to that money. Money the McClintons don't need or want. Their fight's always been about justice for Lita and making her killer uncomfortable. All Jim Sullivan ever cared about was himself and making sure Lita McClinton didn't get his money in their divorce. He took Lita's life to ensure that never happened. Now the McClintons have made sure that if there are millions of dollars stashed away in accounts somewhere, Jim Sullivan will never get a dime of that money. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. You can see photos of Lita McClinton along with sources and more about this episode in the show notes at southernmysteries.com. This podcast is independent and all the research, the writing, the recording and producing of episodes is done by uh, by me, along with a growing group of supporters on Patreon including my newest patrons, Sarah from San Antonio, Robert from Dexter, California, and Carol from Richardson, North Dakota. When you join Sarah, Robert, and Carol, and your fellow Southern Mysteries patrons on Patreon, you get access to monthly bonus content called Southern Mysteries Shorts. You can join and catch up on Southern Mystery Shorts at patreon.com slash southernmysteries. And keep in mind, I am always open to suggestions of stories to feature on the show. So if you have one, send it via social or email me. You can find the links here in the show notes or just search for Southern Mysteries Podcast on your socials. And don't 